Last week, we had Christ very vocal. With this word, woe is you. I know that's three words, but it's a word of the Lord. Woe is you. Woe to you lawyers, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you teachers of the law. In a semi-private setting, in a home, around a dinner table, with a number of guests, Christ declares this, and He doesn't do so quietly. I find nowhere in Scripture that woe to you is ever said quietly. It's often said boldly and brazenly because of the power of its statement based upon the revelation of God to the prophet. Woe to you. It is said forcefully. The implication there is, and the expectation there is that it will penetrate your mind, which is hardened against truth already, hence the woe to you, and that it needs to be heard loudly. And so we have walking out of the house where Christ has declared in a very strong voice, woe to you, over and over again, and has in the course of that brought forth enemies. Actually, they were already enemies. He just brought them forward in declaring it and demonstrating it. And now he goes outside of this house and there is a great multitude. This word in Greek refers to over 10,000 people. Now, some say this is hyperbole, and it's just a lot of people that more than anyone could count. But Luke even goes to the point of saying they were trampling on top of each other to get to Jesus Christ. And before he begins ministering to them, however, he goes from this very bold, very loud woe to you within the house. And before he speaks to the multitudes... He turns very quietly to speak to the twelve. And so this morning we come to a very quiet statement, but no less of a warning. And it's for the disciples of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to try to handle this quietly, but let it not be thought that because it doesn't have the boldness of the woe to you prior to it that is somehow not to be taken seriously. Before we do, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for its instruction, but Lord, for its warnings that we find cover to cover. Warning us against sin. Warning against unbelief. Warning against falling away and warning against our adversaries and warning even against ourselves. Lord, we thank You and we pray that we might be attentive to Your warning today. Pray that this time might be directed by Your Spirit, might guard it from error and from opinion of men. We might see Your Word and its truth and its power 
and bring it into our hearts, into our lives. Not just this hour, but for the balance of our days on earth. And then for all eternity in your presence. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. The crowds have gathered and certainly word has already gone out. The likelihood is, is that people heard Jesus inside the house declaring woe to you. They understand his authority. They, understand, they have seen the miracle working power that has happened um, just a few hours probably earlier, which was the casting out of the demon. The effect of that in this community is still creating repercussions. There are still people gathering together, rehearsing it and describing it and the powerful teaching of Jesus surrounding it. And we find that all of this is now culminating Christ coming out from this meal. And the multitudes are there. An innumerable multitude trampling one another. And so, before speaking to them, he wants to speak to his disciples. And his statement to them is, beware. Look out. Be watchful. Beware. Look out. Now, as you're walking out of a house where they have just been described as assailing him vehemently and cross-examining him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. You might say, well, no doubt on the way out, they're going to say, look out, let's be careful. We just turned our back on our obvious public enemies. I've just made them clearly our enemies. You might look at this pressing crowd that's trampling each other out there and say, watch out, look out, be careful, you know, hold my hand, don't get lost, we don't want to get separated. Oh wait, well, they were adults, weren't they? We wouldn't do that. But that's not the focus here. It will come up, the crowd will come up, the Pharisees are going to come up, the enemy is going to come up, but he has one thing to warn them of before he gets to that. And that he describes as the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. It is not their direct attack. It is not their assault upon you that is of the primary concern. Is it going to be a concern? Yes, we're going to get to that this morning. There is going to be a concern there. But first you need to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Their forthright attack You'll be able to handle, and I'll show you how. But the first thing you need to be careful of is their yeast. What is this referring to? This leaven of the Pharisees. He describes it for them. He says, it's hypocrisy. Now, if I use the term hypocrite, there are some things that come to your mind. Most of the time when we hear hypocrite in church, we have a concept of someone who comes to church, pretends to be very spiritual, on Sunday, comes in and, and is, has the right kind of Bible and the right kind of clothes and the right kind of countenance and uh, sits in the right seat and says amen at the right times or maybe not the right times, but says amen anyway, and then goes out on Monday and lives just like the world. 
couldn't tell any difference between him and anyone else who didn't go to church. All right, that's hypocrisy on one level, but that was not the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Unfortunately, that's all we think of when we think of hypocrisy and we think, I'm not a hypocrite. Because I try to live my life according to what I... I, I don't just do this just on Sunday. Um, and, and there's other things involved in my life. And I am interested in the things of God. And, and I try to bring into my life to some degree um, with varying success. So certainly Christ isn't referring to me here, but he probably is. And I'm going to share with you why. Because there's another kind of hypocrisy. And it's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. This hypocrisy is living out daily a set of activities, a list of requirements you fulfill that are all external. See, the Pharisees didn't just live pharisaically on Saturday. They lived that way Monday, I'm sorry, Sunday through Friday as well. He describes them as wanting the best places and to be, you know, praying in public and, and giving publicly and, and, uh, being very showman in their spirituality, in their religiousness, and um, showing evidence of it all around, that they are the masters, that they know the law, that they are seeking to keep it, and that they, they are not um, sinners. They're self-righteous. And so they're doing all the right things all week long. They are tithing, remember, Seeds. All right, one for God. One. For... They are tithing their spices. They are tithing this little stuff. They are trying to keep it to the letter. They are, tr- they are from our estimation, from, from morning to night and seven days a week, they are living it. They are putting every effort and energy into fulfilling the law. And we might look at that and say, that's hypocrisy. That is exactly the most dangerous hypocrisy because it was all out here. But inside, they were dead. Inside, there was no vitality. There was um, no hunger and thirsting for righteousness. It was a self-righteousness, but not something that would please God. It was this idea that I am gaining the favor of God and men by this activity that I'm doing, but there is no heart behind it. In fact, the heart behind it was driven, according to Christ, by greed. By the desire for people to notice me. They wanted to be important. They wanted to be powerful. They wanted to be wealthy. And this is the kind of hypocrisy Christ warns us of. He says, be careful. Look out. Watch out for yourself. You don't get caught by this leaven. Now, you all know, I'm sure, how leaven works, how yeast works. Um, First of all, it's the 
by volume, the biggest ingredient in your recipe, right? I'm looking at any of you who have made bread to see if you know. No, it's almost, what, the smallest. It is the smallest by volume, the tiniest little portion, uh, unless, you know, you're not a big salt fan. But, uh, I mean, it's just a little itty bitty bit of it you're putting in. And then it starts to work. It doesn't work right away. In fact, if you put it in there, mix it in, and throw it right in the oven, it doesn't do anything. It'll die. Right? You mix it in, and you give it a little time. You see, it's there at the very beginning. As soon as you put it into the recipe, it's really there, but it's kind of latent. It looks dead. It acts dead. But then there's sugars in there and there's warmth in there and there's moisture in there and suddenly what looked dead becomes very much alive and starts to grow and grow fast and multiply and it's feeding. And that's really why you're putting the sugar in there is to feed the yeast. It's growing and growing. You know what makes the little air pockets is all the that yeast belching because it's eating all that sugar. It creates all the air pockets that we like the fluffy little bread with the air. That's just what the yeast has given off. And we let it sit there in the warmth with the food and the water it needs. And pretty soon, it's invaded the entire lump of dough. This tiny little portion affects the whole thing dramatically. Tiny little bit we put in over time. Given the proper nutrients, spoils the whole lump. Now, I know we think it's not spoiled, but that's what fermentation is. It's the process of spoiling. We just like our bread spoiled a little bit, not too much. It's like some people like their grape juice spoiled and their cider, apple cider spoiled a little bit. Um, we like our bread spoiled because that's really what's going on. Christ says, be careful. Watch out. Be warned of the little bit of hypocrisy in your life. Because even though it looks dead, looks innocent, looks harmless. I mean, it's insignificant. It's just this little, what is it, an eighth of a teaspoon? Not about right for a lump? No? A whole teaspoon? Wow. Depends upon the size of your lump, probably. So insignificant doesn't do anything. And I hear Christians say that. Well, I know that's in my life, but it's just a small thing and, and I've got it under control. Oh, listen to Jesus warn you quietly. He isn't talking to the multitudes. He's not talking to the Pharisees with the word you. No, he's coming to you quietly and saying, watch out. This little bit 
this little bit of hypocrisy of playing these spiritual games out here, of coming to church and having the right apparel, of having the Bible, even your daily activity of your prayer time or your Bible reading time. You're doing your quiet time devotions, young people, for life clubs. Is it for real or is it just to do the devotions? You know how I know the difference? Whether it happens all summer or not. Is it for the awards? Is it for the camp? Or is it for the value that's in them? Do you see this little leaven, this little bit of hypocrisy gets in your life and you say, well, at least I am reading my Bible, but there's no heart behind it. There's no hunger. What does God want for me? There isn't any real interest in spiritual matters. I have all the wrong perspective on it. I'm not humble before that, but rather I come to God's word with arrogantly saying, well, you know, I can pick and choose what I like and don't like and what I'm going to obey and don't obey in this. And we have this little bit of hypocrisy in us and we say it's not hurting anything. At least I'm doing this. There are other people who aren't even doing that. Every Pharisee could say what you just said. Jesus, at least we're trying to keep the law. At least every Sabbath, I don't work. At least I give. And God says, they're dead. There's a deadness about them. Because this hypocrisy has eaten them up and is destroying them. Start out a little bit. I'm okay, Pastor. It's just a little part in my life. little part, just a little part in my life. And then I watch it consume them. Yes, this desire for money and for material things. Well, I've got it under control. Do you really? Do we really? This entertainment thing. Yeah, I got it under control. Do you really? Do you really? Every lump thinks they got that teaspoon of yeast under control at first. But it grows. And Christ says, watch out for it. When you evaluate your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's who he's talking to. He's not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to the enemies behind him. He's talking to his men. He says, you, my followers, watch out. Don't let this in your life. When you want to look and examine your life thoughtfully, thoroughly, then you better watch out for these little itty-bitty measures of hypocrisy that are there. This level of hypocrisy says, I'm doing these things, but it's not really coming out of my heart. It's coming out of the expectations of my religious community. And really, my heart, there's still greed. In my heart, there's still this desire, not for righteousness, but for sin. In my heart, there's not this desire for truth, but for my way. And in my heart, I find all the same things that Christ just got done condemning the scribes, Pharisees, and lawyers for. Beware. I'm not yelling this, but beware. He goes on in verse 2 and explains some more of it. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. We are sure that we can hide this 
We are sure we can manage it. We are sure that we have it under perfect control. And here's one of the things I often also hear when I try to confront people with some of the issues going on in their life that uh, start to take over life, and it takes a while. Um, I don't know about you, but um, it takes a while. You cover that lump up and you walk away from it. And you come back and it's like twice its size. It's like, what happened? But if you sit there and watch the lump, it's so gradual. You know, sit there and say, ooh, there. Ooh, that yeast just gave off some air. No, it happens very gradually. And you come back and you say, what is going on in your life? And you try to confront someone and say, hey, there's something going on in your life. And <laughs> got under control. Well, no, you don't have it under control. Because it's evident even to someone like me, and it's taken time for it to get to that far. To get that far that it's evident to someone else around you, it's probably already invaded so much of your life that it takes some radical measures to get it out. The radical measure to kill yeast and its activity is fire. That's why we stick it in the oven. To kill the yeast. Stop it from doing what it's doing. Jesus Christ warns us that there's a judgment coming. When all those things you think you have under control in your life, he says, are going to come to light. Your real motives behind why you're here this morning, why I'm here this morning, are going to come to light. God will judge that. He will expose it one day. Maybe sooner, maybe later, but he will expose it one day. And it will become evident. Maybe not even in this day, but in that day, the day of the Lord, it will become evident. Christ describes how good we think we are keeping these things secret. It says that we have <clears throat> spoken in the dark. We have done these things in the dark. We think that there's no light that's <laughs> revealing my heart, I want to share with you the light that reveals your heart. The lamp of God. Also called the sword of the Spirit. Able to do what? Divide you. Divide you from yourself. To be able to distinguish from the very most inner core of who you are. This word can do it. The truth will do it. And Jesus Christ will wield this. Holy Spirit's wielding it now in your life. Jesus Christ will wield it one day in judgment in our lives. We often think, oh, I can't wait till the judgment seat of Christ when I get my reward for all the great things I did uh, here. And I wonder how many of us are really understanding that at the judgment seat of Christ, there's a lot of wood, hay, and stubble that gets burnt. There's a big bonfire going on that day. You do understand that, don't you? There is a great fire that day that burns up the worthless things that we've done. And those worthless things might be things that we call ministry. It might be Sunday school teaching. It might be being a Word of Life coach. It might be reading your Bible. It might be any of those things because they were done without a heart that is humbled and surrendered to God. The desiring truth and righteousness wanting to self-justify or to prop ourselves up in front of others or to hide our real motivation of avarice, that will all be exposed and it will be burned. 
And we think that somehow it's just going to be all light and happiness that day, but it's a judgment seat, and they use that word for a purpose. Because from what I understand of God's word, most of what we do will be burnt. Most of what we do is wood, hay, and straw, stubble. So Christ's warning is clear. What you have been doing in the dark, what you've been trying to hide by thinking there's no light on it, God says, oh, (laughs) there will be light on it. You can either expose God's Word's truth to your innermost recesses today on your own, or you can wait for Jesus to do it in judgment. And then he talks about whispering in the ear in the inner room. The inner room would be a room that has no exterior walls. It's usually a storage room. Uh, in a Middle Eastern house, you would have this room so that um, because the walls were earthen, um, they would make it an inner room so that no animals could dig through the wall to get to your story, to your stores um, of grain or whatever you had there. And so it had no exterior walls. It was the innermost room. It was the most private place. It was the most protected place. And so you go into that room, you close the door, and you whisper. <laughs> See, the reality is all of us really Really, when we get way down into our heart of hearts and we get alone with ourselves long enough and we shut off all the electronic junk around us for a few minutes and we look into who we really are and we evaluate that, we find out, here's what really makes me do what I do. We don't like what we hear there. And so we muffle it. We cover it with all this other noise in our life. So we can't listen to ourselves and think about who am I really serving? What am I really serving? Who is my God? And Christ says that which will be spoken in the inner will come out. It will be declared at the housetops. And I'm like, oh man, people are going to know yes. And you might be surprised how early they know. Not just at the judgment, but even before that. And so... On the other side of this, I've spoken on the negative side because this is a warning passage. There's another side of this, and that is that if things in your innermost being are right, guess what? That will be declared from the rooftops. Won't that be exciting? If the things that are going on in the secret times of your life are godly and and righteous and holy and pure, then guess what? That's going to be brought out to light and those are the things we're going to rejoice in. Oh, that that would be the case. You see, the issue here, um, it doesn't necessitate that it's all going to be wickedness. The question is, what is it in your life? Is there hypocrisy there? Are we willing even to take the time and effort to weed it out, to discern it, to dig into that depth of who we are? And so we have this principle in place that what has occurred in our innermost person will be exposed one day. What is it that you want to be shown for on the Day of Judgment. Well, if you want to be shown as a follower of Jesus Christ, you must look and have them look into your life and say, this is the life that honors God. 
then guess what? You're going to have to start examining your heart according to this warning and say, I need to find the leaven. I need to find the yeast in my life. I need to do this. It's not easy. It's not easy because we are proud. It's not easy because we are often self-deceived. The Bible says that. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? We want to believe the best about ourselves and we are always prepared and ready and willing to justify ourselves instead of, and to exonerate ourselves instead of to evaluate ourselves and really measure us against truth. And so what I'm asking you to do is not easy. What Jesus asked them to do is not an easy work and is not a once in a lifetime work. It is continual. Watch out for leaven getting mixed into your life. For the trappings of this world to become something more than they are. I mean, they're just fuel for fire. That's all they are. You got that? This stuff that we chase after for 40 hours of the week, just fuel for fire one day. Oh, that we would chase after Eternal things for 40 hours a week. I'm privileged I get to do that. And I find that I'm not even very good at it. And I get paid to do it. And I still struggle to maintain that focus. Sometimes it's easier to go out there and screw metal together and build a little wall at the church than it is to put truth to work in my life and to examine it for hours. So the warning stands now. That's the first warning of three. First one, watch out for the subtle incursion in your life of hypocrisy. Of doing things out of a habit and your heart going sour. Your heart rotting even as you're doing the right things. Remember, what they were doing in tithing their mint and seeds Jesus Christ didn't say you were wrong. He said you should have done that and taken care of these other things in your life. So I'm not saying that you need to go home and say, well, I can't go to church again until I get this all right. No, you should keep doing those things and fix what's wrong of the why you're not interested really in going, but you're forced to go because of obligation. And if this is just obligatory to you, I'm not telling you to leave. I'm telling you fix what's wrong in your heart because the leaven is there and it is destroying you. If you didn't come here because you had a hungering for God's Word, because you wanted to know the truth, then you need to not stop coming to church. You need to come here and in the meantime fix what is wrong. Weed it out. Get the leaven out of your life. Be warned here. Hypocrisy is so easy for us to get caught in. Second warning, verse 4. I could spend the rest of our time on that first one, but I want to press on. The question in this passage is really, when does he start speaking to the crowds that are there? And I would contend that it's pretty late in this conversation. In fact, I think the crowd interrupts Jesus. Jesus doesn't address the crowd first. And so we come to verse 4 and he says, I say to you, my friends, 
And this, I think it still tells us he's speaking only to the disciples. Some would say, I say to you all, my friends, like he's just going to the crowd, but I want to share with you that by and large he doesn't call the crowd his friends. In fact, in John, he didn't even call the disciples his friends until late in his life and ministry. Um, turn with me there over to John. Um, I want to say chapter 15. And I believe this kind of correlates with this period. John 15, 15. It says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things that command you to love one another. He goes on. And so we find that Christ here says, I'm transitioning from your master to your friend. And here in Luke, we find this as well. This, listen, friends, uh, my life is nearly over. We're on our way to Jerusalem for the Passion Week. Um, the days are counting down here. And friends, I want to say something to you. Also quietly, to the side, not yelling this. Don't be afraid. Number one, Make sure there's no hypocrisy in your life. Not even the littlest bit. Do the hard work to examine your dark secret places, to examine those quiet inner places in your life and root it out. Or it will affect all of who you are for Christ. And it will make that sweetness that He put into you sour. And that's what yeast does. Takes the sweet, makes it sour. Number two, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We just turned our backs on people who now want to kill me. But don't be afraid of it. Killing isn't the worst thing there is. Killing isn't a big deal. That's all they have the power to do, is to kill. They don't have the power to destroy who you are and what you are. Look at it here carefully. Let me read it again. My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, I have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him. Who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And some people think, well, he's talking about Satan, but he's obviously not. For there is only one who has the power to cast into hell, and he will cast Satan into hell as well. And that is Jesus Christ. We find that in the book of Revelation that it is he who decides who goes to hell. And the word here is not Hades. The word here is not that term. This is a, an apocalyptic term called Gehenna, which is the place of burning and is the eternal place. This is Gehenna. This is hell, not Hades. Um, two very different places described in Scripture. Um, and so he says, listen, uh, these people behind us, we just left their house. You don't be afraid of them. <laughs> you don't be afraid of them. All they can do is do injury to your body. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something that I think is correlated with what Christ said here. You should be more afraid of the leaven in your life than the enemies in the Muslim world. 
The greatest terrorist in your life is hypocrisy. End of discussion. They can't destroy you spiritually. But your leaven can. It can eat you up and destroy you. We have warning after warning after warning in God's Word. Do not let your false, empty, wrong motives feed on the sweetness of the Holy Spirit in you to destroy you. And Hebrews talks about that. Oh, you have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have partaken of the Holy Spirit. How can you do this? Because there's some hypocrisy there that they let grow. That's what we should be fearing and caring for. But fearing enemies in this world that can only hurt your body, don't be afraid, friends. They can't do anything significant to you. They say, oh, well, it's kind of scary and it's kind of painful. Um, for a season, but for eternity, they've blessed you. For even if they were to do the very worst they can do to you, guess what that does for you in eternity? It puts you in the best place. They've blessed you. That's why the disciples, when they walk out of getting beat up, when they, when they um, get prisoned, um, when all these things happen to them, they get up rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the gospel for Jesus Christ is because they know that there is a benefit for them. There's an eternal benefit to them. And we see that in, in Revelation where we find who is at the closest place, who is at the nearest location to the throne of God. Uh, in, in fact, right at His very, very feet of Jesus are those who were slain for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world tried to do their worst to Him. And all I did was get them in the best place. Why are we afraid of Him? Why are you afraid of what they think, what they say, what they're going to do? Well, they, oh, I might lose my job. Is that the worst they can do to you? God feeds sparrows sometimes in my chicken coop. A lot of times in my chicken coop. I'm trying to get the sparrows out. God feeds sparrows that are almost worthless. Two sparrows... Well, let me read it here. It says, five sparrows sold for two copper coins. Um, another passage tells us that you can get two for one copper coin. And apparently, if you buy them in bulk, five of it, you, if you buy two copper coins worth, you get an extra one free. And that free one, God takes care of. You know, buy four, get one free. The free one, God says, I take care of that one too. The one they throw in for your bulk purchases. Can God take care of us? Why are you afraid? And yet I find Christians consistently fearing the world more than they fear God. That we will capitulate to, the, to their demands at a heart breath with the, with the slightest inkling that it might threaten my livelihood. 
submit. Yes, I have to abandon my worship. I have to abandon who I, you know, commands of God. But I got to have a job. Really? Your God's that small? Why are we so afraid of the world? And so dispassionate about God. This does not say, don't fear anybody. It's not what the passage says. The passage tells us that we should fear someone. And that fear should be on him who can cast into hell, fear him. Be aware that God is a righteous judge and will do what many in sometimes pseudo-Christian circles today want to say he's incapable of doing, and that is sending people into eternal punishment. We just don't want to believe that. God is like that. If God isn't like that, then God isn't. Because he says he is. This is the one we should fear. And what these cults really have done has, has taken the fear of God away from man. I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear if the Jehovah's Witnesses are right. Nothing. I have nothing to fear if the Mormons are right. Nothing. I have no fear of God. I have no fear of anything. He's not going to do anything to me that He's not going to do to them. I have no fear of God. Because they've compromised Him. Jesus says, you should be fearful of the one who's going to deal with you for eternity. goes on. Not only does he take care of sparrows, but he counts your hairs. Some of us are helping God out, making that easier for him day by day. Do not fear you're more value than sparrows. The very hairs of your head are counted, and that isn't that significant. What is significant is that he is attentive to the smallest detail of your life. That's what he's trying to say. He can handle the smallest detail of your life, he's interested in it. So this one that you're called upon to fear, to reverence, to, to, to be obedient to, and to be um, focused upon your life, is not someone who is against you, but someone who is intimately for you. Serve him. Trust him. Follow him. Obey him. Even when the world threatens, and maybe particularly when the world threatens you. Follow Him. Demonstrate the fear of God in your life. And so, we are first told, make sure there's no leaven. Private warning. Don't let the littlest portion of that kind of hypocrisy, of doing all these things that look like they're exactly what I want you to do, but having a heart wrong. Don't let that kind of hypocrisy in your life. Number two warning, do not be afraid of earthly enemies. Fear God. Fear God. Not men. They will threaten you. They will abuse you. They might even kill you. But they've done nothing but bless you in the process and placed you in that position before God of favor. 
Number three. In verse eight. Also I say to you, he's still continuing the same conversation, I believe. Whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. That's the positive. Here comes the negative. But he who denies me before men will deny, will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, they'll be forgiven him. But to him who blasts him against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, don't worry and how you should, or how or what you should answer or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This third area talks about our tongue. James says this is the rudder of our ship of our lives, is the tongue. What comes out of it. And it matters to God. If you go to Romans 10, what we find out is how do you get saved? Well, you pray a prayer. No, it says you confess. You confess. You believe in your heart. And we focus on that. Um, you have to believe. You have to believe. Yes, you have to believe. We've talked plenty about that. But it all says you have to confess through their mouth. It doesn't say pray the sinner's prayer. It says confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confess it with your mouth who he is to you. And here Christ says, listen, this confession is very important to God. This isn't going in and confessing to a priest your sin. This is a public, regular declaration that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that He is your Messiah, He's your Deliverer, He's your Master, you are His servant. And you are more than happy to let people know that. You confess Him before men, He's going to confess you before the angels. And we're suddenly in the heavenly realm, again we are into eternity, and we go, whose are you? And we are all standing there saying, oh yeah, I'm God's. I did lots of stuff in his name. But we know that many are going to be sent to eternal judgment on that day because Jesus is going to turn and say, I don't know who you are because you never claim to know me. You never truly confessed me with your mouth and that confession matters. And so we talk about the inner heart needs to be right, but so also does our confession, that daily living. And he talks about denying the holy, the, the unforgivable sin. We often, we've talked about this before already in Luke, and so I'm not going to invest in that this morning. Um, I invite you to go back and study the prior passage where they accused him of doing this, uh, his work in the, in the uh, power of Satan instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but the concept here is very clear. You cannot do the work of God without being surrendered to the Spirit of God. You cannot fulfill your confession without surrendering yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, when you are brought before magistrates and synagogues and you are in authorities and you are going to be dragged into court and you are going to have to answer yourself, it says you don't have to worry about it. Why? Because it's not based upon your intellect. It's not based upon your strength. It's not based upon your wisdom. It's not based upon your courage. It's not based upon anything within you. It's based upon Holy Spirit. He will guide you. 
He will direct you. It says that He will teach you. And that very hour, I love that part, that very hour, you know what that means? No prep time. There's one thing I hated about school the most. I didn't mind taking tests. It was the studying for them that wasn't any fun. Right? If I already knew the information, the tests were easy. It was getting the information to stick in here. In that very hour, there's no prep time. And I always smile. People say, I've got to plan this all out, exactly what I'm going to say. Don't you believe you have the Holy Spirit in you? If someone's going to attack your faith, pray. God's promises, the Spirit will direct you in that very hour what you ought to say. And people come and say, I think I said the wrong thing. I say, really? Are you not surrendered to the Holy Spirit? This is a promise. The fact is, is that as a rule, we aren't. We don't believe Him. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit is capable of doing this for us. We are more trusting in our own intelligence, in our own vocabulary, in our own concepts of our mind. Is God capable of using you to communicate truth that maybe you don't even fully understand? And I would contend very much so, yes. In fact, this whole book is proof of it. Do you think all these guys who wrote this understood everything they wrote? You're wrong. In fact, one of the guys blatantly says so. I don't get it. And that's not at the beginning of his book. That's not in the middle of his book. That's the very last few verses of the last chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel, friend of God, beloved of God, goes to God and says, I just don't get this stuff. And God says, that's okay. A lot of it's not for you anyway. Here's Daniel writing down stuff he doesn't really understand. Why? Because he understands the Holy Spirit can do things like that. Do you believe that? There are some Sundays I get up here and I go, I'm not ready, Lord. And some of those are some of the best sermons. I wasn't ready mentally, but spiritually I was. The Holy Spirit can do something. Half the time, most of the sermon, I'm trying to get out of the way. Do we believe Christ can be trusted? Do we believe the Holy Spirit is real in us and that we will live according to it? And this is the warning. Don't rely on yourself. By making this public confession, Jesus is my master and I am his servant. I am his, the slave of God. I uh, trust fully in him. You have declared your position. That declaration is going to get you in trouble. I think that's what it says. Um, let me see. Verse 11. Everybody looking at your Bible? Look at your Bible. Verse 11. Luke chapter 12. I want to quote it. But if they bring you, right? Is that what it says? Now, oh, I'm sorry. I started start with but. Now, if they bring you, is that what it says? Now, if they bring you, right? Isn't that what it says? Now, if they bring you, 
No, there is no if. There is no conditionalism here. It is absolutely certain for when they bring you. <laughs> what did Jesus just do? He just promised them. You're going to have enemies. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master consistently in your life at every given opportunity that everyone around you knows whose you are, then guess what? This is going to happen. Not might happen. The promise is it is going to happen. And this isn't just Jesus teaching this. This is consistent throughout Scripture. Uh, we get to Acts chapter 14. And it says we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Um, this is going to happen. Just brace yourself for it. In Galatians and in... And, 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 uh, oh, I can't remember if it's Ephesians or Colossians are so similar. Just expect this. We told you this was going to happen when we were with you. That there would be deceivers who would want to come. Jesus taught it from the Olivet Discourse. He taught it consistently that there's going to be opposition if you are truly living out this confession that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Brethren, be warned. Be warned. Live it. And let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. I think sometimes the Christian community is afraid to let him do his job. You're afraid of what the Holy Spirit's going to do with you. Because we haven't dealt with number two, which is don't be afraid. And so we hinder him when we should be walking with him. We grieve him when we should be pleasing him. We struggle against him when we should be following him. And this should characterize the life of the Christian. Your whole life is ministry, and therefore it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit through you because you are not your own. You are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which is God's. That's what it means to confess Him before men. What a powerful trio to warn his disciples of when you consider what they were going to witness within the next 10 days. They were going to witness people declaring Hosanna. Wow, party time. And in a few days, screaming, crucify him. That's the reality. We can gather here and sing praise Him, praise Him, realizing that we might leave here in a few days from hence, here, kill Him, kill Him. Filling our ears. Make them suffer. Christ's warning stand. Number one concern. Make sure there's no leaven in your life. This is between you and you. Get into your dark places. Get into those secret inner chambers of your life. Find out what's there. You're not going to be able to listen to the radio 
watch the television, or be online while you're doing it. Just throw that out there. Okay? Get the leaven out. Number one thing that is going to destroy and spoil your Christian life is that hypocrisy of going through the acts with no heart behind it. Number two, do not be afraid of anything this world can throw at you because they cannot take you out of the Father's hand. And number three, you do not need to rely upon yourself to live the Christian walk. You confess Jesus before men and the Spirit will guide you, teach you all things in the hour of your need. People often talk about the next verse being an interruption, but I think Jesus Christ was done. (laughs) He didn't get cut off. He wouldn't have allowed that. But he is going to turn his attention to the crowd now because the crowd is turning their attention to him. But he's taking his disciples aside and I want to take you to decide today with him and share with you those same things. Watch out. Watch out. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the salvation that we have received from your hand. And Lord, I pray for each one here that we might be guarded from hypocrisy of the nature of the Pharisees. We might spend this week going through the motions of what pleases you, but with a heart that wants what the world has. Lord, we can deceive ourselves very easily into this and rationalize it away. But Lord, give us the wisdom of honesty in evaluating who we are and what moves us, why we do what we do. And then, Lord, give us the strength to root it out, to change it, to glorify you there. And, Lord, you know what we will face this week. You know who we will have to face. You know who the enemies of your cross are. You know those that would desire to ruin our testimony, those that would desire to ruin our lives, those that would desire to ruin our families, those that would desire to destroy our minds, to fill it with evil, those that would seek to distract us from our mission, those that would entice us and trip us from being faithful, Lord, we know that they are there. Lord, help us not to fear them, but to stand fast. Take up our cross and follow you. And then, Lord, laying out before us this week are also opportunities for us to confess you before men. And Lord, we... We acknowledge before you this morning that we are not up to that. 
we're fearful of that to a degree. We're not sure what exactly to say or how to say it because we don't even know what's coming. So our dependence is upon you. And in that, we have no fear. That your Spirit will guide us. And Lord, help us to walk in your Spirit. May allow Him to teach us, to instruct us, to comfort us. That we might live out our confession before men. Lord, in all this, we look forward to that day when we will be in your presence. We are fearful of your judgment to come. For we know that this is an evil generation. And we are caught up in too much of it. Lord, we are also looking forward to that eternity. Of your care and your reward. And Lord, our prayer is that until that day, we might be faithful in your service. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.